You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange with me, Arthur Parkinson, and my friend, Sarah Raven. Today, we're going to be talking about a group of plants that really have become in vogue summer stalwarts and autumn stalwarts for the English garden. Only in the past, I hasten to say, probably five years. I remember when I first got Sarah's book, The Bold and Brilliant Garden, I don't remember seeing any salvias in it. I might be mistaken, but now I know at Perchill and in my garden and many other gardens across the country, salvias have become a must-have plant they just flower and flower and they're very easy to keep looking healthy and happy sarah could you tell me when you first decided to introduce salvias to Perchill? yeah i'm my parents funnily enough had always had salvias in their gardens they had a garden just outside Cambridge and they had a garden on the west coast of Scotland and it was the one mm. in Cambridge on chalk that they'd always had salvies actually. But that's very much because my dad was love collecting plants and they spend a lot of time in Italy and a bit in Greece in the days when you could have a plant collector's license and bring cuttings back. So I remember definitely quite a few really long and late flowering salvias in their garden. I'm afraid I can't remember particularly which, but they were ones like Amistad, you know, those sort of rich blues. Oh, really? And I remember very well that my dad always used to propagate them from one year to the next because much as it's very freely drained where they are on the Cambridgeshire-Hertfordshire border, you can have quite harsh winters. And of course, then, 30 or 40 years ago, they were much more severe, the winters, than we have now with climate change. It's just so mild now. So when I um, started the garden here, I, I certainly had one that they did have there, which is Salvia oliginosa, which is, I think, it's a sort of swampland salvia, isn't it? it? It prefers damp ground. And they had it in um, in a sort of the only damp corner that was damp, basically, because I think they thought there was some kind of leaky drain, because otherwise everything is so freely drained where they were. But I love that absolutely clear sort of Aegean Sea blue that you get in Salvia oliginosa. But fun enough, I, I must have planted it four or five times here in the garden, and it just doesn't like us here. It just, um, it just, it just goes. So I put it in, it might last a couple of years and then and then it disappears so but there are so many other wonderfully reliable varieties so i think you know we should talk about all the real crackers don't you yeah definitely i mean um i think it got to about june here in in this new garden i've got and i just started realizing that as the the last of the alliums were fading over i hadn't got enough seedlings to you know the, the cut half hardy annuals to fill the pots up with and so i just went shopping and yeah. ordered lots of salvias that I had no idea what they were. And as I'm sitting here, it's a lovely, almost very, it feels very autumnal, you want your jacket on, but I can see these beautiful little tubular flowers just dancing in the autumn sunlight. Mm. And they are worthy. My favourite group has to be the um, microphylla group, which I know we mm. spoke about because they're very good for roses, giving mm. off uh, the sulphur and an anti-block spot group. But I think in their own right, not as a companion plant, but as a good pot plant, they really do cut the mustard and they go on and on and on. I've got a cattle trough in Nottingham that 
is against our boundary fence, which is falling apart. And so I've got a genemesis and mm. one called Dyson's Maroon. Beautiful. And they've been in there now, I think, about four years. Wow. And they just go on and on. And I love it because they flush through this falling down fence and flush out onto the road. And you've just got this lovely, like, little very low purple hedge. And it is constantly alive with bumblebees. How they manage to get themselves into those little flowers, which are designed for very delicate hummingbird beaks to get into, I don't know. Yeah. But they do manage it. And um, in your book, A Year Full of Flowers, there's the most gorgeous big pot that you have in the Oast Garden, just coming out of the path that goes down the middle. And you've got three um, microphylla salvias, mm. one called Cero, I'll pronounce this Cero wrong, but you can Sarah Potosi. What is it, Potosa? Natchvi Linda, which is um, Nat- the most Linda. beautiful. <laughs> Your Dutch accent or German Nat- accent. Natchvi Linda. Well, that's why I don't go abroad, because <laughs> uh, I wouldn't be able to order a thing. In a, Mine's in a bad enough, but it's better than yours. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the last one, which I think I can pronounce right, is called Jezebel. Well done. Have I got that one right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but they're wonderful. So you've got one in a beautiful... Not too pillar box red, but more of a, a scarlet, but it's quite a, a beefy red still. Yeah. Echoed with a lovely purple and then a really deep blueberry cut in half, real, almost navy blue. Yeah. And I just think those three together, they actually don't need anything else. They're fluffing out and they're giving heart and they, they'll pump out the flowers, won't they, for months and months. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm a massive fan of Salvia's. I mean, I, I remember I, I try and do this exercise once the growing season really sort of pretty much grinds to a halt and the clocks change and everything, and we we move into the time of year that I find the most tricky with the light levels being low and as of daylight short, I try and do an exercise of picking a trug or laying out a slate, like a flat lay or whatever, once a week of what's still looking really colourful and beautiful in the garden that week. And I remember Jonathan and I doing this a couple of years ago with the salvia range that was still flowering. And that is actually in, in the book, A Year Full of Flowers. But, and it was amazing. I think there were 17 varieties of salvia still flowering right towards, you know, this was mid to end of November. And they're just, they're just wonderful. I mean, Josie and I went her gardener here and I went to uh, the National Salvia Collection, which the one you've just mentioned called Dyson's Crimson or whatever. The nursery is, is called Dyson's Nursery. It's just outside Seven Oh, Oaks. is it? Yeah. Oh. And a lot of the breeding has been done by this guy there. And we went at this time of year, I think, or maybe a little bit earlier, to try and just select the colours that we wanted. And we filled the back of the car and it felt a bit extravagant at the time, but of course that has given us our salvia collection that has lasted however many years, and I don't see it not lasting. And we basically find here in Sussex, if we leave the crown on the plants, we don't tidy them up, even when they get frosted, and they will get frosted, and the tops will go brown and look a bit mushy. But if we just let that almost sort of canopy down over the crown of the plant... What we've found here is we really can overwinter them. Now, last winter was the severest winter we've had for 12 years here. And we did lose some of the Amistad and we did lose two or three of the Nachtlinders. But all the others have come back. And I think it is leaving the tops on is really important. So you can't be an over tidy gardener. And of course, 
taking cuttings. So it is getting late now, but I think if you've still got some salvias in your garden, I definitely would still take some cuttings. And again, if you've got either a heated propagator or maybe a cold frame, or if you're lucky enough to have a greenhouse, then I think it's definitely worth taking some cuttings now and not leaving it until next spring, just in case you lose them. But will you will you chat us through? I know we'll move on to, to varieties in a bit, but will you chat us through taking a salvia cutting, Arthur? Yeah, I mean, um, it's very similar to those of you that listened to the Pelagonium episode of doing yeah. it. So at this time of year, there won't be masses of, of cutting material, but as long as the piece of stem that you're cutting away has got pairs of leaves on it, that means where the leaves are, there are nodes, and that's where the roots will come from. So even if the piece of material has got a flower at the top, that will still possibly be a cutting as long as there's the leaves. So I would go out and cut the healthiest looking bits. I'd take the flowers off and cut just beneath a pair of leaves so that the end of the cutting has definitely got a node. So that's where the roots will hopefully come from because there'll be some hormone there. And I would take off the flower or the stem end because that's taking away the top of the cutting, which means it can't grow up. And I would just leave two pairs of leaves at the top of the cutting and strip all the others off. So normally the ideal cutting would have two nodes and where the leaves were. And these two nodes, that part of the stem would go under the soil and you're left with your two little leaves at the top of the cutting. And you could take as many cuttings as you want, fill up a plastic or terracotta pot, firm it down, just multi-purpose peat-free compost will do the job with this and a bit of grit if you've got it to mix in. And then put all your cuttings around the edge of the pot and that means they're a little bit warmer and it means once they do start to root and it may take to be honest you know cuttings do take their time sometimes particularly at this time of year they will so it wouldn't surprise me if it takes at least a month and a half before roots start to show as long as the leaves left on each cutting stay green that signals the cutting is still alive yeah they go moldy or brown discard them and quite often from, you know, 12 cuttings, at least four do end up being taken out. So you don't always make all of your cuttings alive. But, you know, on a heated bench or a propagator or your kitchen windowsill, that heat will help them root, particularly a bit of bottom heat, which a heated propagator will help with. And those salvias, you'll have to keep them sheltered inside until the end of next May, I would say, by which time they will have rooted and they'll be ready for to be potted up individually and honestly, those cuttings will flower next year. It's exactly what all the um, professional salvia breeders and garden centres will be doing at this time of year. They'll have taken loads of cuttings, just as Josie does at Perch Hill. Mm. As soon as the biennials are all planted out, her heated bench, I always go in there and I'm amazed because Josie's so dedicated to propagating. Mm. She will have, you know, at least half a dozen of each variety that are grown at Perch Hill, she will have taken cuttings off, just in case, as Sarah said, there's a cold winter. But also, salvias, a bit like the Atavrosus pelagoniums, as they get older, they do give you less flowers. So it is worth every second year taking cuttings, even if you're like me and often go, oh, I haven't got room or patience for cuttings, I'll just buy a new plant. If you've got the room to do it, it really is plants for free. And it means that you're constantly growing a crop of young, youthful, vigorous plants that are going to flower much more than the parent plants that are older that are going to give you the cutting tail i think amistad is the worst one actually once that gets to about four years old i think Mm -hmm. they get very tall Mm. but they just don't give you as many flowers Mm. i don't know if you found that yeah definitely and black and blue as well black and blue yeah 
Yeah, I, I agree. Mm. I think you definitely want to keep them small. So, should we move on to varieties then? Yeah, I can't pronounce any, but let's. <laughs> <laughs> I probably can't either. Well, I can pronounce one actually I like from this year, which I'll talk about. Okay, you start. It's the Natch, Natch TV Linda, however it's spelt, uh, family. <laughs> it's one called Cherry Pie. And yes. um, it really is like one of those, you know, when you go in the supermarket at like 11 o'clock when you've got off the train and you're starving. And there might be a reduced section and there's those awful, you know, basically sugar poison bakery cherry pies that are often like 50% off. That you'd only buy if you were drunk, to be honest. I I will. I'm I'm not. I I don't buy this kind of thing, but I do look at them temptingly. They're like the the glacé cherry. Yeah. Lovely colour, but with a bit of purple in them. Mm. and um i've planted that this year and i i really love it i just love the the texture it's like crushed velvet like mm. that pink cushion velvet a small flower but because there's lots of them on each stem they flower a little bit like a foxglove actually little spires and lots of flowers on top of each other i just think they're brilliant and they're prolific and of course they're edible aren't they i mean you know well, i don't w- eat <laughs> No. <laughs> well, you've been talking about a, a luscious food, so I just thought I'd, I'd... I don't think they taste like cherry pie. Well, but but quite a lot of the, the those smaller ones that you're mentioning really have. I mean, the the one you mentioned called Jezebel has yeah. a really strong pineapple flavour, and you can just pick the flowers off and use them like scattered over ice cream, and they they do give you a real burst of a sort of fruity, really quite a nice taste, and they're lovely people use them for because of that for like cocktails and drinks and things because they give you this sort of burst of pineapple flavor so you know they they that's worth remembering that all the savias are edible i think probably the one i've liked or loved most this year is one that is called involucutra hadspen and hadspen was the garden of penny hophouse and then Norrie Pope and his wife who had the colour garden there and um, I don't know which of them sort of bred this particular one but I'm not sure how to pronounce this word but it's the brother of Batolii which is another pink one and they're pretty indistinguishable I think one is a slightly darker pink but Involocutra Hadspen stands about four or five foot tall and I love it in November because each of the buds look like a lotus flower and they're bright, bright, bright pink, you know, real lipstick pink, but they are completely covered in flower. And we actually have a row of that in the perennial cutting garden because I find that if you sear the stem ends in boiling water for 10, 20 seconds and then into cold water, they make rather a beautiful large scale arching vase, just simply like seven Mm. stems on their own in a tall vase in our window here. And they've got such great colour and structure. I'm mad on that one. I think it's yeah. a real cracker. And of course, I adore Nachtlinder. We neither of us know how to pronounce it, but it's the, the genemesis one. Can yeah, pronounce the variety name, just not the species, whatever it is. And it's <laughs> um, it's like uh, velvet purple capes. Mm. And actually, I quite like the one of that crossed with hot lips. I, to be honest, I wasn't. Oh yes, I know the one you mean. I wasn't so keen on hot lips, which is the red and white. I personally find red and white a bit too contrasty. But I find the new amethyst lips, which is the purple and white, rather good actually because sort of somehow the white behind the purple brightens and lightens the flower. And we've Mm. got that under planting 
the wonderful purple rose rhapsody in blue and that famously that rose famously gets black spot you know it 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 is a sort of slightly fungal prone yes. variety but we've got amethyst lips five rooted cuttings just sitting below a clump of three of the rhapsody in blue rose and i looked at them this morning and and they're completely pristine there's not a hint of black spot and mm. so they look really good together because amazingly rhapsody in blue is still flowering the rose and um and amethyst lips is flowering away as i would expect but there it's definitely keeping the rose good and healthy so that would be another one that i would i'm going to definitely plant more of that next year they're very drought tolerant too i'd say those yeah. um, the smaller salvias they're very very good for you know if you want to really jazz up a herb garden or if i was planting up a trough you know with perennial herbs i'd definitely include some some of the small salvias yeah they they really don't go hungry um, they'll they'll thrive in full sun and they i think would you say that they'd suit like coastal gardens or balcony gardens for wind i don't think they mind wind do they i tell you what i have found had been quite brittle so i'm mm. not sure and it and it's sort of quite tall and and gangly yeah but the little ones but uh, yeah mm. i've seen amistad and hastings gardens here right by the seaside and it seems yeah. to cope with the salt spray mm. so definitely and then I think it's worth mentioning the middle size. So, you know, the little ones, which are the Gementsis yes. or the Gregia hybrids we talked about, which are fantastic for pots. And then the big ones I've mentioned, which I think are so graceful in the vase. But I do think that's all that whole Love and Wishes series. Oh, Those she's sort of beautiful. Middle size mm. ones are really good. And they genuinely here, I know as a fact, because I took photographs of one of my trugs, they flowered until December last mm. year. And I looked at them again this morning and I see no reason why they won't. And there's a new redder one called Ember's Wish. So it's a sort of the Wish series, I think, is being developed quite a bit. Yes, I know that one. It's a good orange. Isn't it? Mm. It's sort of, you know, like embers, you know, like sort of uh, mm. fiery embers. And so it goes from orange to red sort of thing. And um, I think that's that's a cracking variety. And mm. again, for a large pot, that would be fine. Um, but also fabulous for a November border, a sort of hot colour border, and the same uh, luscious, velvety textured petals. So definitely for me, for November late season plants, salvias would have to be right at the top of my take to the moon list. Do you mulch them, Sarah, for winter if you're trying to leave the adult plants in the in the border rather than lifting them? Do you mulch them? No. Well, weirdly, we don't. We no. just do this thing of leaving all the frosted Leaving growth. the foliage. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe it would be a good idea to mound up some mulch, you know, yeah. around the crown, but certainly over the crown, we just allow the... Yeah, you wouldn't want to suffocate it. The foliage that has been frosted just to sit over it. And then in April, it's often as late as April, you go and have a look, rather like a dahlia, and you just suddenly see lovely growth erupting from, from soil level. And then off they go and we stake them or support them, not the little ones, but Amistad definitely needs some support. But otherwise, they're exceptionally low maintenance and exceptionally high performing for a good six month stretch if you're lucky. There's no doubt salvias are absolute must haves for Arthur and I. And so is this recipe. I want to keep it really simple. And something that I've had in the last week, which I, it reminded me how delicious it was was I got a butternut squash and there were just two of us for supper 
and I roasted it whole for half an hour, which makes cutting it in half and taking the seeds out really easy. And I tend to do that with all my pumpkins and squash. So in a medium oven, 170, 180 degrees, and then cut it in half, scoop out the seeds, and then put it back in the oven for another 15 minutes. And that should soften the flesh and a drizzle with a bit of oil and salt at that point. And then what I do is I take it out and I scoop with a teaspoon, not a tablespoon, because then you can break the skin. So I just scoop out the flesh and either in a food processor or just with a fork, I then fold in a little bit of creme fraiche and a little bit of parmesan and then lots and lots and lots of sage. And sage, of course, is at its absolute best at the moment. And so then I put that back into the boat and toast some of the pumpkin seeds I've I've taken out of the butternut squash, put that in the top, perhaps with a bit of hazelnut, which is what I did. And then again, I fry more sage leaves and just scatter that over the top. And honestly, as a vegetarian, not vegan because of the creme fraiche, but you could leave out the cheesy bits, that's a really, really lovely supper for this time of year. So I hope you'll be doing that, Arthur. Yes, if I come across a lovely butternut squash, I will lovingly roast him and scrape out his middle and do all that lovely, <laughs> wonderful stuff that you've just described there, Sarah. I'll believe it when I see it. Well, okay, we can, we can, we'll see. Next week, we are going to be turning our heads to the Christmas door and talking about what we can gather in early December for making the most beautiful Christmas wreath from the garden so it will be all about foraging and making something gorgeous on the door for the festive season ahead join us then you can find more information photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.